So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We're going on from where we've been over the last number of weeks, really, with regards to the Beatitudes uh, on the Sermon of the Mount. When we read the Bible, we find that the books are broken up into chapters, into verses, and to section headings, and depending on which Bible you've got, they may be different, the section headings. And whilst these are very helpful in finding our way around and memorising Scripture, they're very helpful for memorising Scripture, we, we think of something like Isaiah 53, don't we? And we think, we know where that is. Well, when Jesus took out that scroll in, in Luke chapter 4, he turned to that place, but he didn't turn to chapter 53. He just knew where it was because they knew the scriptures so well. But for us, they're helpful. But sometimes where a chapter begins and ends or a heading is placed, it can throw us off a little bit. And what I mean by that is that sometimes like the conversation changes, uh, changes course or a, a new context begins or a new account of some particular story begins to happen. So, for example, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount. And he comes down the mountain. But that begins in chapter 8. He comes down the mountain and followed by a crowd, at which time there is a leper that comes to him. And he asks him to make him clean. So this is, you see, a clear end of one thing and the beginning of another. So you've got that logical mindset that says, I understand then why they end at seven and start at eight. But sometimes having a heading when a, a new subject comes into being is a little bit confusing. So a heading can make it appear like a new account is starting. It's not always the case though. Here in Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16, the reason why I'm telling you this is because I have a heading in my Bible at this beginning of this, which says believers are salt and light. And if we're not careful, it can make us kind of separate that part to what we've just looked at. So the point is, we need to understand here that Jesus is still speaking directly to his disciples as he was when we were looking at persecution. He's still in the same conversation. It's not changed, but sometimes it might just be me. But you can look at a head and you can, you can kind of almost feel and convince yourself that you're beginning something else. But actually here, it's the same context. He's still with them. He's still speaking to them at the time he's delivering these great principles of the Beatitudes. So in these four verses, we see two particular statements that are made. Jesus describes the disciples and what they are to be in the world around them. The you are statements we have here. After this, at the end, Jesus then gives an instruction. So we have the two you are statements. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then he says, uh, it gives them an instruction at the very end in verse 12. So he says, you are the salt of the earth. This is what he says to those who he's just delivered of these Beatitudes too. He says, but if the salt loses its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. 
The fact that this statement then is said immediately after Jesus has finished with these principles, the Beatitudes, it tells us something. He goes on and he tells us something about what he's doing. The teachings of these principles of the Beatitudes come first. That's what we see, that they're first. The principles of the character of the Christian. And we've learned we, over this time in the, in the Beatitudes that these principles are the character of a Christian. One who has been made new. A new creature in Christ altogether. Are going to be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, manifesting progressively these principles. So this person has put off the old man and he's put on Christ. That's what he is. That's what he's done. This person is now one who is full of the Holy Spirit and thus is led by him as we read in Romans chapter 8. The children of God are led by God, by the Holy Spirit. So he is one in whom these characteristics of a true believer are progressively being worked out and are bearing fruit. Remember you shall know them by their fruits. It's not just a confession. If we confess and profess to be a Christian and our lives never change, then there's a problem. Our confession, our profession may be false. You know them by their fruits, as you know, of course, a false prophet by their fruits. Fruit, when you look at a tree, I'm not any gardener, so if I've got this wrong, then you'll have to correct me. But when you look at a fruit tree, particularly, when you see, in its early stages, you will see blossom. When it's fertilised, whether it's one of those trees that self-fertilises, whether it's through the bees that pollinate, once it's fertilised, it buds. And we see that the blossom comes through. It's fertilised by the bees. And when it becomes a flower, which then in due course becomes fruit. So there's a progression. But this fruit tree... It bears fruit, but it doesn't, you don't look at a tree and then overnight you go and see apples. It's progressive. You see stages. So speaking of the blessed righteous person in Psalm 1, the psalmist writes this. He shall be like a tree. This is what this person will be like. This righteous person, this blessed person. The one in whom the principles of the Beatitudes are progressively working. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Constantly being nourished. That brings forth its fruit when? In its season. When it's ready. When it's ripe. Whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Now you can go into all sorts of things with that. And it would be a good thing to look at. Whatever he does will prosper. We're not there tonight. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everything you put your hand to is going to prosper. You know, you could, you could go and do something where you've not sought the Lord and it could fail. But we're talking about righteousness. Whatever he does in righteousness will prosper. So we've discovered that going through these beatitudes, we ourselves cannot produce these characteristics within ourselves. It's impossible. They're not natural. And in that case, really, we may as well term them supernatural. They are supernatural principles in which God himself works through us. And you could say that they are, I don't know if you've heard of a book with this title, but there's a book by a man called Henry Skugel. 
And he wrote a book called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. That's what these principles are. The life of God in the soul of man. That's what we desire to live. That's how we desire to live. To have the life of God in the soul of man. I want God in my soul. His life in me. As I'm sure if you believe tonight, do you? The life of God in the soul of man. So we talk about fruit. This fruit within fallen man is absolutely a work of God's grace. Absolutely. We can't bear it. It's a gift of God, not of works, as we see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And it says in that place, lest we should boast. Friends, Christians are never a boastful people. We know that whatever God has given us, whatever gift we have, it's all a gift of God. The work within the disciples, in which Jesus is primarily speaking to in these principles, this work in them had already begun. Because Jesus says, if you remember to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you will be, he said you are the salt of the earth. The Lord had told them that because of their own love for and their faithful service to him, that in that they would be persecuted extremely. That bad things would happen, that all kinds of evil would be said against them, and that they would come under a barrage of wickedness, yet false accusations. He wanted them to know that despite this, in the midst of it all, in the midst of that persecution that was coming, particularly for them, as we know, they all perished, bar John, at the hands of wicked men. But despite this, in the midst of it all, he wanted them to know that Jesus is bringing them great encouragement. That they are the salt of the earth. That this is what they are. That they would be the salt of the earth. It's the encouragement that Jesus is giving them. Even though all this persecution was coming. You are the salt of the earth. Little did they know though. At this time. The influence that they as Christ's apostles would have. Upon the whole world. Not only then. But until the very end of time. We're still affected and taught by the apostles, even though they've been dead for centuries. In fact, they're not dead. The reality is that when you look in Scripture, it says that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And he is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob numerous times. Why? Because they live. He's the God of the living, not the dead. So, physically speaking, they are dead. But they are absolutely alive. And even to this very day, we are taught and we are um, touched by the work and the life of the apostles. And that's going to go on until the end of time. Until we end up going to glory and this earth is all finished the way it is now. But at this moment, when Jesus is speaking to them here and now, they're very few people. And they are a weak few who have struggled even themselves to grasp all that Jesus taught and even on a number of occasions has completely misconstrued what Jesus was saying to them. Remember on the boat, 
And Jesus says, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. They're arguing amongst themselves because they'd only brought one loaf of bread into the boat. They could it completely wrong. So even these people, at this time, they were all over the place with their understanding. So they had asked themselves, what could a few common Galileans including fishermen and tax collectors, do in Israel. Never mind the whole earth. Jesus is there saying, you are the salt, not of Israel, but the salt of the earth. And they're thinking, look at our background, look where we've come from, how can we affect anybody? How can we affect our own, our own village? Never mind the nation, never mind the world. How can we do that? But as Matthew Henry notes, the prophets... Who went before them. That's what it says if you remember. When they were being persecuted. The prophets that went before them. They were the salt of the land of Canaan. But the apostles. Were the salt of the whole earth. For they must go into all the world. To preach the gospel. And if it weren't for them. We here in our little corner of Askin in Doncaster. Might never have heard. Because they went and did what God told them to do. Now it only takes a small amount of salt to revolutionise the taste of a dull, bland, tasteless batch of food. And these men were commissioned to take the salt of the gospel to the world. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The covenant of salt in the Old Testament, was an everlasting covenant. And so, the gospel is an everlasting gospel. Salt is a preserver, and once the gospel penetrates the heart and soul as that sharp, two-edged sword, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, as it pierces through, the heart will never see Putrefaction. They used to use salt to preserve meat. It would never go bad. And so the heart will never see putrefaction. For no one shall pluck a child of God from out of his hand. Salt is also what is termed as a sedimentary rock. It's a rock. And this rock must be broken and ground. If it is to be spread around. And then so all those who are called to minister the word. Must be humbled and broken as were the first apostles. Think about Peter. And this is a grave picture. Peter. Upon denying Christ. Their eyes met across the courtyard. Somehow Jesus was being led. However that happened in his chains. Across the courtyard at the very time that Peter was denying him. And their eyes met. That must have been a knife. A red hot poker to the heart of Peter. So when their eyes met his heart burst in grief. Causing him to weep over his betrayal. He was broken. The word says that man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so the body 
cannot live without salt. I don't know if you're aware of that, that the body cannot live without salt. The salt of the gospel gives life. But it says if the salt loses its flavour, how will it be seasoned? In Psalm 119 verse 9, we're told this, or asked this question, how can a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is, by taking heed according to what? A word. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed to yourself. This is Paul speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, who was giving him very much direction in the things of God, in his pastoral uh, calling, and into the, uh, the way that the church should run. He says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Continue in the doctrine, is what he's saying. Continuing in the truths that you've learnt, that I, he says, have taught you. Imitate me, Paul said, as I also imitate Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, speaking again to Timothy. He says, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. For what reason? That the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is absolutely vital. And we need it in our lives. Not just the daily readings, but the study of the word of God in understanding the doctrines. So that they may be a guide to us and they may be every one of these things which we read. The correction, the reproof, instruction in righteousness. And we need then to be fully equipped. And we are fully equipped by the word of God. The true doctrines. The true gospel must be kept. Paul is always teaching them. Don't stray from what you've been taught. Even if another angel from heaven comes and teaches you another gospel or another Jesus. Be rid of it. Do not sway from what you have learnt from us. And we have heard, uh, learnt from the very mouth of the Saviour. The true doctrines, the true gospel must be kept and it must be preached. And any other gospel that's not the gospel must be turned away from and treated, as Paul said, as anathema. For if the truth of God's word be added to, or if anything's taken away, it becomes false. Powerless. It becomes another gospel which is no gospel at all. And another gospel, friends, cannot save and so the salt has lost its saltiness, its savour, and the false doctrines then are fit for nothing. They must be thrown out and trampled upon by men's feet. That's all they're fit for. And we've got so many of them that abound today, even in that which is termed the church, and they need to be thrown out. They must stick to the truth. Otherwise the salt loses all of its properties. 
the salt of the gospel which must remain true to the scripture. And we must endeavour ourselves to fully take on, Paul, on, on board Paul's exhortation to Timothy to be those people who are diligent to present themselves approved to God. Workers who do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is what all Christians are called to, not just ministers, not just those who teach, but all of us. Because one way or another, you will preach the gospel. You will teach the gospel to somebody, somewhere, somehow. And so you need to know. You need to know the gospel. You need to know the doctrine. Otherwise, you might be found to be preaching another gospel. 2 Corinthians 2.17 For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. There are too many people who peddle the word of God and treat it as if it's uh, common. But we, or the apostles there, Paul speaking, we don't peddle the word. We preach this gospel in sincerity. As it is from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. That should send us into a into awe and a fear that we are, I am, speaking in the sight of God and in Christ even now. May God help us that we don't ever lead anybody astray. So then he comes to the next kind of tenant. He says, you're salt of the earth. And then he goes on to say, in a similar way, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In Matthew 4.16, the coming of Christ into Capernaum, prophesied by Isaiah, is fulfilled. It says this, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. This is a fulfilled prophecy in the Lord Jesus entering into Capernaum. And then in the first few verses of John's Gospel, we learnt already that the Word, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. And this light was life itself. Jesus himself declares in John 14 verse 6 that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life, the light. No one comes to the Father except by him. Many times he calls himself the light of the world. The promise from Jesus to the disciples and thus to all who believe thereafter is this. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And the Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. In other translations, it says, make our abode in them. They come to live in with us. These disciples, Jesus declared to be the light of the world. He called himself the light of the world, 
And in turn he says to the disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The very light himself says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Light of life within you, within the disciples. John 8, 12. The disciples were sent into a world of great darkness. To be lights, wherever they went. Not that they in themselves were light, but being indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, they became light in a wicked world, fulfilling to the uttermost that which was declared of them, that they would be witnesses to him and his glorious gospel the world over. They proved it. They, they acted it out. They showed it. And they would continue to be that as they were borne along by the Holy Spirit, as they wrote the God-breathed, inspired New Testament scripture. They went and preached the gospel everywhere and they put it down in writing, which came uh, to be the inspired word of God to go on and on and on through the ages, saving countless amounts of people through the word of God. The lamp, this candle, if you like, this burning bright light is not to be hidden. It's not to be put under a basket, but on a lampstand to give light to all those in the house. Reading John Gill, he says this, Christ has lighted the candle of the everlasting gospel and given gifts to men for the ministration of it. Not to be concealed and neglected or to be used as the servant did his Lord's money in wrapping it up in a napkin and hiding it in the earth. Ministers are not through slothfulness to neglect the gift that is in them, nor through fear to hide their talents, or to keep back any part of the gospel, or to cover anything out of sight which may be profitable for souls. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it is, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, through the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen by which to save men. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It is the light in a dark world and therefore cannot be neglected. No one who has the light of Christ ablaze in his heart wishes to extinguish it. To hide it. To keep it to ourselves. It must be a city set on a hill. It must be a lamp set on a stand. It must be that light. Constant light. See that, if you remember the light that was, the, the lamp that was lit in the tabernacle. It was on the stand and people, they lit it every morning and every evening. It was constantly, if you like, burning. The light never went out. Because when it started to burn low, they replenished the oil and they kept it burning. 
So this, it needs to be on its stand. Like remember the serpent that was on the pole in which those people had to set their gaze when the plane uh, was in the midst of the Israelites. They were being bitten by serpents and they had to look at the serpent on the pole. This is the truth that feeds and nourishes and gives constant light to all those in the house. To those in the household of God. The word is a lamp to the path of the believer. It's a lamp to his feet and it's a light to his path. But the light is also an unceasing, blazing beacon of hope to all those still engulfed in blindness and death. How will they see it if we hide it under a bushel or a basket? It's the only truth. There is no other truth. The only light which makes the blind see and the dead to rise to life. Therefore, we must never hide the gospel. He must never plant it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense when you read that, does it? Why would He asked the question, the obvious logical question is, why on earth would you light a lamp and then cover it up? The whole purpose of a lamp is so that everybody in the room with you can see. And that's the gospel. The gospel power. The gospel for us to keep teaching us and for us to go on and on and on. And that city set on a hill, the beacon of light set ablaze for all those in this world that are still sat engulfed in darkness. Needs to be seen. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These principles set forth in the Beatitudes. The characteristics and the true nature of a Christian here presented are to be working in all who profess to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as the context and the conversation flow on, we too, as with the disciples, are to be lights of the world in which we live. It's not there written just for their sakes. It is written to them initially. God is speaking to them. Jesus is speaking to them there and then. But also as we read it as believers today with the apostles' teaching and Christ's teaching, we are to be lights all around us, ourselves. We ought to be those beacons in the dark corner of the globe where God has seen fit to place us. Jesus tells the disciples then and all who follow after to let your light so shine before men. Christ declared that if we confess him before men, that he will confess us before the Father in heaven. We are to let our light shine before those in our families, those in our workplaces, in our social circle, in every part of our lives, we need to be beacons and not just say, well, you know, when I go to church, I can let it blaze out. When I go in my family, they know who I am, so I can let it blaze out a little bit there. When I go to work, all the bushel comes over. When I go in my social circle, as a young person, perhaps, I don't know, maybe some of you older people have a, a wonderful social circle. Does, it, does the bushel come out there? 
Do we cover that lamp in our social circle? Every part of our lives, we must be ablaze. The truth of the gospel should emanate from us both in word and in deed. In speaking the gospel as well as in how we live. Our actions, our behaviour, our speech. It's interesting that mankind marvel when people behave differently to them. When one offers forgiveness in the face of persecution. When we love our enemies rather than hating them and seeking vengeance upon them. And will to one degree or another these people, they will give glory to God. They might not make it obvious, it might not be glory to God in the right sense, but they might look at you, should look at you and see that there is something about you that is completely alien to them. And they might try and put it in a, in a different kind of form so as to hide their own sin. But one way or the another, they will acknowledge that something is different about you. And it's because they don't want to acknowledge God that they won't acknowledge God. They will just put it down to being a, a nice person and there, maybe. But they will see it. So the question for us all tonight is this. In light of these discussions, in light of the principles of the Beatitudes, and in light of the discussion that Jesus had with these disciples saying, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. The instruction is to go and be thus before all. Is your heart ablaze for Christ tonight? Is mine? Is it ablaze? Are we like Jeremiah when he cried, His word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. I had to speak what God was telling me. I had to, he was a prophet. And he got him into all sorts of bother, Jeremiah. He was thrown into a pit with only one way out, which was the roof. But he couldn't keep the truth of God to himself. And what of Paul, who declares, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And that is, when you, when you look at the woes, it's a, it's a bad thing. Woe. Is me. Woe to the Pharisees. You've read those, the opposites of the blessed, actually. The opposites of the Beatitudes is woe to you, Pharisees, hypocrites, vipers, whatever he calls them. Woe to you. You're not blessed, it's woe to you. And he says, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Are we tonight the salt of the earth, or have we lost our savour? Are we a light, or are we hiding ourselves? And the gospel that we say we believe under a basket. And if you have the light of Christ burning in you, are you a city set on a hill for all to see? Or are we like Moses when he tried to convince God to use a different, more talented person to take his message to his people? You remember Moses, he said, I have a speech problem. I stutter. And what does it say in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is running through the gospel from beginning to then? What does he call Moses? A mighty man of speech, he calls him. 
when he tried to argue with God and said, Lord, send somebody else. Please. There's got to be somebody better than me who can do this. Don't send me. And God got angry with him and said, I'm sending you. Don't be like Jonah. Try to walk the other way. Because God will just turn you straight back round, even if he has to make a fish swallow you. I don't think he's going to do that, by the way, today. But nevertheless, you see the point. We can't run from God. We don't want to be like Moses who said, find somebody else, Lord. This world needs those who are poor in spirit. The world needs those who mourn, not only after their own sin, but after the sin around them. Grieves us. Now my question, does it grieve me enough? And I see the sin around me. Does it grieve me enough? But the world needs those who mourn. The world needs those who are meek and not self-serving. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are merciful. Those who are pure in heart. Those who are peacemakers at all costs. Not any cost, by the way, as we looked into. That those who face persecution... And when the wicked tongues of men joyfully reproach them for the name of Christ. These people are salt and light. Cities on a hill, obvious and unhidden. Will we join them? Is that what we're going to be? That's a decision that we have to make and constantly make in the decisions we make as we go for our lives. I do remember when I went to work years ago, that I did believe, that I acted like them, I joined in with them, I went out with them, and I was convicted by that, and I wouldn't take my Bible to work, to read on my break, I was ashamed to do it, but eventually I did, and it rarely broke that ice, in fact, the worst thing about that, was my own anticipation about doing it, because although they may have had the odd banter about being a Bible basher or whatever, my Bible was on that table. And they knew from that day on, that's what I believed. It's not an easy thing to do, granted. Rarely struggled with it at the time. But what if tonight, that you are seeing the beacon, the bright light of life for the first time? Christ is the life, that's what it says. That's what he says. And then you come to him, he promises that he will in no wise cast out. Come to him then, the great shepherd, the sheep, who came to seek and save that which was lost. We need to turn from sin. Turn to Christ, putting aside every ounce of reliance upon ourselves and put our reliance upon him and his life. His death, his resurrection for the salvation of our souls. And he will do as he promised. He will save you to the uttermost. And he will make us lights to the world and salt of the earth. Amen. Amen. Father God, we pray in the name of Jesus that we would not be those who are found hiding the light that is in us under a bushel. Lord, we know times can be hard. Lord, we don't sit here as Christians with any guilt. We may look and think, there was a time that I did that. There was a time 
when I didn't say what I should have said. There was a time when fear or embarrassment took over and I didn't do it. Lord, we, we ask you, Lord God, to forgive us of those times. Forgive us when we haven't confessed you before men, when we have indeed put the bushel over the lamp. Not unto condemnation, Lord, but unto that help that we ask for. That as the world grows ever darker, that Lord, whatever position, whatever place we find ourselves, that we will burn ever brighter. Because we have the truth in us. We have the light in us. The promise of God was that you would abide with us. And as believers, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you live within us. And I pray, Lord God, that you would then live out of us, shine out of us, we pray. Help us to deliver the gospel to all and sundry. Lord, that on that great day, we will hear those lovely words. Come in, good and faithful servant, to your reward. I will set you over cities. Oh God, help us, we pray. Glorify your name in and through us. And Lord God, we pray tonight, if there's any amongst us, Lord, who, haven't, who hasn't seen that beacon of light, Lord, cause them to see it. Cause them to turn to you in faith and repentance. To put their trust in you. And Lord, just as Paul did, become a beacon of light himself to many. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.